welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is Wednesday of the 33rd week in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. To prepare ourselves, let us acknowledge our sins. I confess to Almighty God and and to you, my brothers and sisters, that that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. Grant us, we pray, O Lord our God, the constant gladness of being devoted to you. For it is full and lasting happiness to serve with constancy the author of all that is good. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the Book of the Apocalypse In my vision, I, John, saw a door open in heaven, and heard the same voice speaking to me, the voice like a trumpet, saying, Come up here, I will show you what is to come in the future. With that, the Spirit possessed me, and I saw a throne standing in heaven, and the one who was sitting on the throne, and the person sitting there, looked like a diamond and a ruby. There was a rainbow encircling the throne, and this looked like an emerald. Round the throne in a circle were twenty-four thrones, and on them I saw twenty-four elders sitting, dressed in white robes with golden crowns on their heads. Flashes of lightning were coming from the throne, and the sound of peals of thunder in the front of the throne. There were seven flaming lamps burning, the seven spirits of God. Between the throne and myself was a sea that seemed to be made of glass, like crystal. In the centre, grouped around the throne itself, were four animals, with many eyes, in front and behind. The first animal was like a lion, the second like a bull, the third animal had a human face, and the fourth animal was like a flying eagle. Each of the four animals had six wings and had eyes all the way round as well as inside. And day and night, they never stop singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. He was, he is, and he is to come. Every time the animals glorified and honoured and gave thanks to the one sitting on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders prostrated themselves before him to worship the one who lives forever and ever and threw down their crowns in front of the throne, saying, You are our Lord and our God. You are worthy of glory and honour and power, because you made all the universe. 
and it was only by your will that everything was made and exists. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy, holy, holy Lord, mighty God. Holy, holy, holy Lord, mighty God. Praise God in his holy place. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his powerful deeds. Praise his surpassing greatness. Holy, holy, holy Lord, mighty God. O praise him with the sound of trumpet. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with timbrel and dance. Praise him with strings and pipes. Holy, holy, holy Lord, mighty God. O praise him with the resounding cymbals. Praise him with clashing of cymbals. Let everything that lives and that breathes give praise to the Lord. Holy, holy, holy Lord, mighty God. Alleluia, alleluia. I have chosen you from the world, says the Lord, to go and bear fruit that will last. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. While the people were listening, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they imagined that the kingdom of God was going to show itself then and there. Accordingly, he said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to be appointed king and afterwards return. He summoned ten of his servants and gave them ten pounds. Do business with these, he told them, until I get back. But his compatriots detested him and sent a delegation to follow him with his message. We do not want this man to be our king. Now on his return, having received his appointment as king, he sent for those servants to whom he had given the money to find out what profit each had made. The first came in and said, Sir, your one pound has brought in ten. Well done, my good servant, he replied. Since you have proved yourself faithful in a very small thing, you shall have the government of ten cities. Then came the second and said, Sir, your one pound has made five. To this one also he said, And you shall be in charge of five cities. Next came the other and said, Sir, here is your pound. I put it away safely in a piece of linen because I was afraid of you, for you are an exacting man. You pick up what you have not put down, and reap what you have not sown. You wicked servant, he said. Out of your own mouth I condemn you. So you knew I was an exacting man, picking up what I have not put down and reaping what I have not sown. Then why did you not put my money in the bank? On my return, I could have drawn it out with interest. And he said to those standing by, Take the pound from him and give it to the man who has ten pounds. And they said to him, But sir, he has ten pounds. I tell you, to everyone who has will be given more. But from the man who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for my enemies, who did not want me for their king, bring them here and execute them in my presence. When he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You know, a couple of days ago when we started looking at the book of the Apocalypse, I thought to myself, Swans, you're going to regret this. 
Uh, and, um, yep, here we go. I'm <laughs> starting to regret it. Uh, well, the reason why is because, okay, we've dealt with the first three chapters now of the book of the Apocalypse. Um, and these are the seven letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor. Um, and these really do belong probably more to the kind of a prophetic tradition rather than to apocalyptic literature per se, because, you know, we've actually got seven earthly churches with, you know, their own earthly problems of striving to be faithful, um, but becoming a little bit apathetic or struggling under persecution and, you know, gaining encouragement um, to, you know, stay faithful in the fight and, and all of that sort of stuff. So you end up with a nice moral message. Okay, guys, here we go. This is the situation. Stay strong. But once we get to chapter four, here's where it properly gets apocalyptic. So it starts off with John actually being taken up into the heavens. This is where that transcendent aspect of apocalyptic literature starts to come in, right? We're not just writing to seven churches here on earth. We're now taken up into a new realm. So here's where it started, right? In my vision, I, John, saw a door open in heaven and heard the same voice speaking to me, the voice like a trumpet saying, come up here, I will show you what is to come in the future. With that, the spirit possessed me and I saw... Dot, dot, dot. Right. There comes the vision. Now, I think this is the important part, right? Okay, we've heard about these seven letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor. They're going through their own stuff at the moment. Uh, and I think what this vision is now proposing is to paint the big picture. You know, for the Christians from Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Laodicea and Philadelphia and Ephesus and Smyrna... They're having to battle in order to remain faithful to Jesus. They're having to battle against a Roman persecution. They're having to battle against friends, neighbours. They're having to battle against their own inclinations towards power and wealth and pleasure and all sorts of stuff, of falling back into old pagan ways. What's this battle all about? The vision, the revelation, seeks to lay bare the hidden story behind all of this. You're having to resist the Romans? Yeah, sure, but the Romans are just a sign of the great forces of evil which are waging their war against God and his angels. And your faithfulness is actually just you waging that war and proving to be victorious. And this big picture, you know, what Jesus has accomplished in redemption and the way in which that victory is made manifest throughout the world by the coming of the kingdom of God, this is all going to be described in an apocalyptic way, using this literary genre and language and symbols which come from the Old Testament and are native to this literary genre. Now, for us, you know, we hear these symbols and, and you know, a lot of it just goes over our heads and it just sounds weird. But if we can unlock some of these symbols, we can start to read what the book of Revelation is proposing in a different kind of language to what we're typically accustomed, in a manner that's not just narrative saying, well, Jesus did this and Jesus did that, and therefore it has this impact on the world, but instead to look toward what's going on in heaven, to interpret these pictures, and then see what that means for us. So anyway, John gets caught up into heaven, and he's brought into the throne room of God. Now, we hear that the one sitting on the throne 
looks like diamond and ruby, uh, and that around the throne there's a rainbow that looks like an emerald. Now, the first thing to notice is that uh, John describes what the person on the throne looks like. He has an appearance after this kind of fashion. He never actually says that this is what God is or this is what God looks like, because at the end of the day, no one can have an immediate vision of God. You know, John's going, oh, it's a little bit like diamond and, and, and ruby. It, it, this is the kind of radiance that God has. Now, the interesting thing about these gemstones is that it evokes the gemstones that were on the garments of the high priests in the book of Exodus. The ephod which the high priest wore was adorned with 12 gemstones, symbolizing God's people and showing the radiance of God's glory. And then this rainbow that encircles the throne, um, which probably makes us think of the book of Genesis, right? After the flood, God made a rainbow appear in the sky as a sign of his covenant with his new people and a sign of his love and mercy. Now, God is seated on a throne because he is the one who is almighty. He is the one who is completely sovereign over all of creation. But then further around his throne are 24 elders dressed in white robes with golden crowns on their heads. Okay, they're on thrones too. They're wearing crowns. They're sharing in God's kingship, in his authority. Now, a lot could be said about that number 24, um, two twelves, maybe 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles, bring them together. You've got a sign of the people of God. Or it could also be a reference to the fact that there were 24 classes of priests. But the fact that you bring together here uh, a priestly image in the number 24 and then a kingly image in these thrones and crowns, you start to see a description of the people of God as being a royal house of priests. Anyway, we're still setting the scene, right? We've got peals of thunder and flashes of lightning that are coming from the throne. Now, this has got to make us think of the book of Exodus, right? You know, when Moses goes up Mount Sinai in order to receive the Ten Commandments, this is exactly how God manifests his presence and his power to the people waiting at the foot of the mountain. So if you know your Old Testament a little bit, um, while a rather strange picture is being painted in the book of the Apocalypse, you start digging in and you can see things that are very, very familiar. But admittedly here, it does actually get a little bit weirder, right? <laughs> we hear about this sea that seems to be made of crystal glass, uh, and then grouped around the throne are four animals with many eyes in front and behind. They're just, they're, they're covered in eyes. And the first animal looks like a lion, the second like a bull, the third animal has a human face, and the fourth is like a flying eagle. Now, what on earth do we make of that? Well, they stand as a kind of summary of all the living creatures in the physical world. The eagle representing birds, the bull representing domestic animals, the lion representing wild beasts, and then, of course, the one with the face of a man representing human beings standing over and above everything. So these four creatures then, they never stop singing this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. He was, he is, and he is to come. Now that sounds a bit familiar, right? We pray holy, holy, holy during the Mass. Uh, and in Hebrew tradition, like repeating these things three times, 
is the way of indicating the superlative. Now, if you're around about my age, you probably didn't get taught any grammar at school, um, but comparatives and superlatives, it's the difference between good, better, and best. Better is the comparative. You're comparing one thing to another. One's better than another. But then when you get to the superlative, you describe the one that is the most best, right? Now, the way that they would form comparatives and superlatives is by repetition. So if you had to say that something was better than something else, you would say, well, this is good, good, that. But if you wanted to describe something which was best, the superlative, you'd have to repeat it three times. You would say that this is good, 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 the best, the most good. Well, these four creatures chant holy, 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 most holy, holiest is the Lord God, the almighty. And, you know, he's almighty because, hey, get a load who's on the throne. And here's the thing too, right? These animals are completely covered in eyes. Like, they're the ones who see the most clearly uh, and their eyes don't close. You know, they're sleepless. And, and so the word they speak is true. God is holy, holy, holy. And every time they make this chant, the elders, these 24 elders seated around the throne on their own little thrones, right? They prostrate themselves worship God, and throw down their crowns. Now, this idea of throwing down your crown um, comes back to an idea about empires and emperors, right? They would always rule by using vassal kings. So familiar to us, of course, we know that the emperor Tiberius was Roman Caesar during the time of Christ, but the vassal kings in the local area were King Herod and Pontius Pilate. They were the ones who ruled locally, but even Herod and Pontius Pilate need to give their obeyance to Caesar. So these vassal kings, whenever they came into the presence of the emperor, they would lay down their crowns before the emperor, a sign that they were ultimately subject to his authority. It's a kind of gesture that comes from the imperial court. Everything now points to the one who is holy, holy, holy the Lord God, the one who is almighty. And these 24 elders, they acknowledge, you are our Lord and our God. You are worthy of glory and honor and power because you made all the universe and it was only by your will that everything was made and exists. Okay, that's a picture of the throne room of God. Now some stuff's going to happen in there, and we'll hear about that tomorrow. At the Saviour's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Let us welcome Christ into our hearts with an act of spiritual communion. 
My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. And we finish by praying Pope Francis's prayer to Mary during the coronavirus pandemic. O Mary, you shine continuously on our journey as a sign of salvation and hope. We entrust ourselves to you, health of the sick. At the foot of the cross, you participated in Jesus' pain with steadfast faith. You, salvation of the Roman people, know what we need. We are certain that you will provide, so that as you did in Cana of Galilee, joy and feasting might return after this moment of trial. Help us, Mother of Divine Love, to conform ourselves to the Father's will and to do what Jesus tells us. He who took our sufferings upon himself and bore our sorrows to bring us through the cross to the joy of the resurrection. Amen. We seek refuge under your protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our pleas, we who are put to the test, and deliver us from every danger, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father. Thank you.